Well, good morning. Thank you, Ken, for leading us into worship, worship team. Well, I just want to take a few moments before we go any further and, and give you uh, some uh, exciting news. Um, Friday night, we had an advisory team meeting. For those of you not familiar with the advisory team, it's uh, basically our church board. And uh, we uh, voted unanimously to move forward with a building project. Amen. So, Amen. So just briefly what that entails, we already have a proposal from an architect, not a, not building plans yet, but a proposal for uh, his services. We are going to do a few, uh, look at a few more options just just to do our due diligence. Um, we've been informed by the pastors we'll probably be hard-pressed to find anybody to do the deal he's doing for us because he's uh, charging us in a different way than most architects do, giving us 25% off the hours he charges for drawings, um, other breaks. So um, he's done quite a few churches in the area. Uh, so we're excited, and uh, know that this is not a, uh, uh, when you're communicating this, uh, just so you know, uh, we won't be breaking ground in about two or three months. Uh, this is somewhat of a process, especially working through the city. The timeline he gave, at the moment we sign a contract with him and say go, we're looking at a two-year process before we're moving things into a building, just so you know. Um, I wish it was sooner than that. We need it sooner than that, honestly, uh, but we also, I've, uh, I've seen from other uh, situations, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with church building projects and uh, some good advice from others, and, and this is not something we want to rush so quick that we make uh, wrong decisions. So uh, we're going to take our time. It's going to be a multi-phase project. It's not going to be uh, uh, one big building all at once. We're going to try to keep as much out of debt as we can and uh, build something. We're looking at something probably double the seating capacity in the sanctuary, a few more classrooms, and that would be a phase one and then uh, eventually moving down the road as we can afford it to, to build onto that. Uh, the good thing about this architect, he is known to be able to build functional buildings that still look nice, and uh, multi-phase projects where when you get done, you'd never know it was done in phases. So um, if we go with him, uh, we'll be able to be sure that this will be a, a uh, maybe not so smooth, but, a, um, but a, a, a beneficial process for us. So be praying for to that tune that we uh, continue. It's going to be a big financial obligation for the church, know how, how we see it. So we need God's prayer, need him to show up in a mighty way, uh, move on our hearts to, to uh, really partner in this project. For those of you who know that we've started a focus on community, last week I preached the message that when the crowd becomes a church, a uh, message that was preached by Brian Jarrett, and come to find out it had been preached several other uh, venues, but it came from Saddleback Church, Rick Roran, also um, from a church in San Diego, uh, pastor well-known pastor a church about nine thousand there so this is a a common thread that is uh is being spread by the holy spirit through uh, churches that that we need to be more than just a crowd but community and you know um yesterday i had the opportunity with some other guys in the church to uh to uh help nathan's family to to move some items and while some would pass that off as no big deal let me tell you something when we prayed for isaac we had 17 people show up on a monday night with just a day's notice to pray for him and we just briefly put out texts about helping and we had we had a, a, a small army of men uh, we we moved a complete rider truck i don't know how big that thing was but a rider truck full in about 45 minutes and when we left isaac said to me he said you know this is what i'm really hungry for this is awesome that people come together like this that is the signs that the church is not just a crowd but a community now men I w and women both i will tell you uh, if you see these things and say, man, I wish I had known or, or whatever, I, I don't intentionally leave anybody out. But um, as we grow and get new folks in the church, 
if you're open and available and you want to be one of those last minute, hey, we got we got a way to love on some people and help, then you need to let me know. Uh, we've got so many ministry opportunities in this church for you to be part of the community. We need men for ushering now. Uh, with us adding some men to our advisory team, that that those men really need to transition out of being ushers, and there is more to ushering now than what we have made it before. Uh, I won't go into that now, but um, you can either see myself or Mark. Um, there are so many opportunities in the church with kids ministry and all. It's all part of being co- part of a community. If you'll remember in this message from last week that um, Pastor Brian said that Larry Osborne, the pastor of North Coast Community Church in San Diego, teaches on community, and he's, when he does that, he's not talking about his uh, neighborhood. He's not talking about places where we live, our communities, but rather is talking about a meaningful building of deep connections, of meaningful relationships, of real friendships, spiritually formational relationships. This is something more than just on the surface. And he told the story, uh, Brother Larry told the story how intentionally developing community at North Coast was key for that church moving very quickly from 180 people to 9,000. Now, now, you can say all you want about the big mega churches. Oh, they get people from other churches and all. Well, I can tell you when churches move that quickly and that size, there is something more than happening than just a neat program. When people are drawing those numbers, and we see that in the, in the story in, in the New Testament when they talk about numbers being added to them daily, that there is something drawing the crowds. But their relationships, it's, it's not all about the preaching or the programs. Those are valuable. Those are needed. Otherwise... You wouldn't be listening to me right now if it was not valuable to, to have preaching in the community. But, but their relationships, that became the primary way that believers would not only disciple, but the primary way that the out, those outside the church would be brought into relationship with Christ. Exactly the story we heard, for, heard from Brother Rainey today uh, about Pops, about, about that building that, that relationship, being there and available, not, not the preaching of the programs. He, he probably hadn't, who knows, they ever sat under any preaching. But as we grow, how do we make sure we don't just become a crowd, but be sure we become a church and there is a difference? For 1,900 years, and I'm giving you a little recap from last week before we get into the new stuff, but 1,900 years, you know, back from the time of Jesus to to just a few decades back, the church was more rural. Um, If you had a church more than 300, that was a big church. Now we don't think a big church until you get to 1,000 or so, but it, it really is big when you get over a couple hundred people. Because that breakdown of community begins to happen naturally unless intentionally you're intentional about building a community, not just a crowd. How do we make sure we don't just become a crowd and we become a church? If you remember last week, the example is given. If somebody's at the door uh, greeting people, if they walk in and say, how are you doing? Your typical response in our culture is, I'm fine. Right? We talked about that. But, but when we say... Um, how are you doing, we're not really meaning how are you doing like we want to know. Because if anybody ever really tells you how they're doing, you are kind of taken back and like, well, I'm not going to ask that again. (laughs) Because what you really meant is I see you. When you say how are you doing, you say I see you. You exist. I recognize that you are present, that you are sucking wind. Um, And we don't want to really say it that way, so the nice way to say it is how are you doing. But we need those relationships where when people ask us how we're doing and we say we're fine, they are invested in us enough, they know us enough that they will say baloney. You're not fine, I know better than that. That's what it is when a church becomes a community, not just a crowd. And what's going on in the church today? We, we talk about this, that in America where, 
where relationships are more surface and where the church is more of a crowd and fosters more surface relationships than meaningful ones. Because we're too busy. We don't have time to make deep connections anymore. We value time and money more than we value relationships. We mentioned in other cultures outside America, they often don't have the money, so they value relationships more. And so that's why they don't keep appointments like we do. They may be 30 minutes late because they were talking to their son or their daughter or a close friend, and that's more important than the business deal that you think is so valuable. And so we get put off because they don't keep those times, but to them, um, that's more important. And our God is time and money in the U.S., so we don't put the importance we should on deep relationships. Social media made our relationships surface as well because we can hide behind electronic devices and we can be rude and cruel and, and uh, disingenuous to people uh, and be a coward and hide behind a keyboard or behind a screen. And we'd never say that to people in real life in person, but we sure can say it when they aren't there in front of us. Also, we talked about what else was there that, that caused a, a rift for this socially in our church about the relationships. And I brought up the automobile, and some of you were probably saying, wait a minute, that's, that's been uh, uh, designed and developed a long time ago. How is that all of a sudden a problem? Well, it came down to mobility. The churches used to be rural, and you didn't have the means to always go somewhere else. And social media, we can listen to messages from all over the world. Other pastor, we got the smorgasbord of the Word of God. And then our vehicle made it possible for us to drive past one church and go to another. And so as mobility happened, you'll remember we talked about that used to families were a single car family when the dad worked, the mom was a homemaker, and you just had one car per family. Then wives started working, so they needed two cars. And used to 16-year-olds, they're spoiled brats if they had a car. And now it's because parents are basically a shuttle service that as soon as they're 16, they're like, please help us by driving a car. And so things have shifted. People's interests have changed. Their activities have changed. Everything in the world changed that. It's not about necessarily saying this is bad or good. It's just that's how things have changed. And we need to understand in the church it's filtered in. And so that same consumer mentality that we have where we have all these choices, the same mentality that would have us drive past the mom and pop store to go to Walmart or Kmart or a big box store has infiltrated the church. And now we will pass by our community church to go to the one that has bigger, better programs. And I'm not necessarily calling that bad or evil, but it's changed the way we have to look at the way we build a church now because it's too easy to become a crowd instead of a community. We used to have to go to the closest church. We used to have to shop at the closest store, but everything changed when our mobility changed. I mentioned when we were at New Song and we were there at the very beginning with 40 core people before we even had our first service, you know, you knew everything about everybody. But that has changed. Even now, running 110, 118 people, two services. It's easy for you to be here for some time, see somebody at fellowship dinner and say, who's that? Oh, well, they've been coming for months. So you have to be very intentional. If we're going uh, to be in a growing church and for it to grow the right way, we have to be cognizant of that and we have to be intentional about community. Now let's get into some new stuff. I'm uh, it will sound a little bit like a recap here at the beginning, but we're going to get into some of these uh, aspects of uh, how this happens. Some of the problems that cause it to become a crowd in our community is, number one, the church can slowly become something we go to instead of something we are. Something we go to instead of something we are. We go to church afterwards. Um, or after church, we go to the, the 
uh, store, we go to the restaurant, and it's just another stop on our way home, and church is another thing that happens on the weekend. And we're going to go to the gym tomorrow, and church becomes a program, a place. A, a, it's a concert with a talk. And even from the ministry team, it can become that. Ken will tell you one of the first things. Ken and I know each other 16. I know his heart for worship. I know it's in the right place. But I wanted him to know that in my leadership, I said, I don't need musicians. I need people who lead people into worship and their lives lead them to worship. And as soon as they become a musician, I don't need them up there anymore. I want them in the congregation. I want to hear, but I might as well not use them. If they can't be faithful, regular attenders to set the example, they can't be here and engage and evolve, I don't want them there. That's straight from the top. So if Ken has to be harsh on one of the, the team members saying, you know, listen, you're, you're missing or you're coming in late or you're whatever, he can roll them back, back to me. I'll tell him, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. That's the way it has to be because when we step up here, we're saying we're willing to set ourselves apart and, and have more responsibility and be accountable. So um, the problem with all this is that it's really filtered from that consumer mentality. We have... We have that consumer mentality that comes from our culture, not necessarily came from the church, but it's filtered over and impacted the church. Just like we pass the mom and pop stores, the big box store, uh, we often go to the church that's more, you know, it's bigger, better stuff that we see in our mind. It's about what it can do for us. It's convenient. It meets my needs. And so, uh, like the example I use, you know, you're going to Home Depot and uh, you go so frequently, they get to know your name. And they give you a frequent shopper card. I don't know if they have that. I don't go Home Depot, but they, they're just rolling out the red card for you. And they think they got you. Until Lowe's builds a store just about the same distance or closer and sends you those grand opening coupons. And you're like, I just got to go check it out and just see. And you get there, and they've got the same items, but they've got a few more choices, a few more colors. And so now Home Depot thought they got you, but you're like, Bye. And we do that in church too. It's not that it's because we didn't build a community around us. We were just in a crowd. And it's very easy just to switch crowds. So we have to be careful and understand that it's very vital that we become a community, not just for the church's sake, but for our own spiritual development. The second thing that a negative thing that can happen when we become a crowd and not a church is your walk with Christ is a uh, personal relationship, but, but often we try to make it a private relationship, and there's a big difference. Your relationship with Christ is meant to be a personal relationship, but not a private one. Because you're part of a body, and more and more churches from 200 to 20,000 have, have a mentality that people come in, I want you to teach me something, I want you to inspire me and my children, my family, but at the end of the day, my spirituality is between me and God. And you know, if if someone in that church sees something that's not right in your life that wants to coax you and help you go, you're going to get defiant. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get, um, you know, you're going to push back because now they're in your business. But that's not the way church is meant to be. And if you really want to sign up for this following Jesus with all your heart and being a, a disciple of Christ, you have to get over that. If your pastor has to say, look, you need to, you need to think about what you're doing there because it, it could damage you or it could damage others. Then instead of getting all defensive, you have to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I need to think about this because someone in my community has recognized something in me that may need to change. You know, I've had people where I, I feel, I, I just feel the Lord lead me to tell them something. You know, hey, look, I don't want to be, I, I'm, you know, I always, in the natural, I want to approach it so carefully, you know. 
I'm not here to try to tell you, you know, what to do or uh, to be harsh, but, you know, I really, I really don't want to see you do this. I mean, the first time I had to deal with something where me and Jen, someone in our office, say, look, you know, this, these things are saying it can be harmful. It was like in our first year of pastoring, and, and it was really hard, especially if they don't take it well, you know. It's really hard, but we have to do that as a community because otherwise we're just a crowd and we're, at, we're adding nothing beneficial to each other's lives and we're not growing and we'll just be a crowd. We won't be a church. The third thing is we have to, uh, we have to know where to live out the one another's of Scripture. I think there are around 56 commands of Scripture that tell us uh, what we as believers, what we ought to do for one another and what we ought to be for one another. Uh, for instance, it says we are to pray for one another. We're to give to one another, to love one another, to carry one another's burdens and confess our sins to one another. And all these things are in, the, in, about 56, in there about 56 times. But, a, but in a crowd, the one another's of Scripture stop happening because it becomes about our private relationship, not our personal relationship. We may even create benevolence funds you know, to meet needs in the church. And so someone comes and says, you know, I'm in need, and we, we send them to the church. Well, the church can help you with that. Because in our culture and in our government, it's all about the institution taking care of people, not people taking care of people. And it floods into the church, and so we get that mentality that, well, the church just needs to take care of it. I'll give to the benevolence fund, and that's good enough, and then they can just worry about whether it's enough to take care of all the needs. And we disconnect from people's real needs and what, what we can do to impact them spiritually. But there is a sad thing. When the organization begins to take care of everyone in need, many of us stop thinking it's our responsibility. And it becomes the church's responsibility. I gave the example of the pastor who a, a member came up very upset and said, I, I had a guy in need, I seen the church, and one of your staff members, someone on your team, didn't take care of the need. And, and, and we lost that opportunity. And the pastor just went apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We failed. I, I, we failed miserably. I, I, I hope this never happens again. And, and so pretty soon the guy says, I want to know who did that. I want to know the name of the person on your staff. They need to be held accountable. They need to, to know that they should have met that need. And the pastor said it was you. You're as much a team member of this body as anybody that's on staff. And apparently God thought it was important that you hear the need first and you just passed it off. <laughs> we have to be careful that we don't look at the church as an institution and we're just someone that's in there. I can tell you that most of the problems that will happen in a smaller church like this, from experience, will not be people who are here in the pews a long time, years and years. It's someone who comes in and won't build relationships and sits here for a while, and they think that's how they're going to grow spiritually, and they assume everybody else that's in that congregation has been there forever, and the people that should know, and we're the new ones that need discipled, and all of a sudden someone else does something to them that they don't like, and they get upset, and, Pastor, you need to fix this, or, or they just leave. And don't even deal with more time. It's just leave and don't deal with it. And they don't even know that was a new person who maybe is a new Christian or hadn't been a Christian long, and they're working through the same stuff you are. Yeah. It was just two people who were on the journey together that butt heads for a moment. Instead of following scriptural ways of handling it to get past it and to grow, they bail. And all it does is change their lenses. When they go to the next church, they're just watching for somebody to do the same thing. And then there are the people you see on social media. Oh, I gave up on church. Bunch of hypocrites. Here's one, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to tell you, this is the awesome thing about being pastor is when you can admit, I think I had a scripture a little bit wrong. Because when I was listening to Pastor Brian, he gave a good case for this meaning something a little different than the way I've even preached it before. The King James Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. And I've always heard it preached that this is the reason we're never supposed to miss church. We're supposed to be there every time the doors are open. And that's what it was used for. And I believe that. And I'm not saying that it doesn't have some of those applications, but hear me out for a minute. This is where I'm giving you almost word for word what Pastor Brian preached in my life. Listen to him. That, is, that was presented to me at times to make me believe we had to show up every time there was something going on. That could be on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, Bible study, and the verse was quoted in the King James Version to guilt me into being a, at every function, every night of the week, every time there's a church function. But the context of that scripture, he says, it, he never understood, and I maybe I didn't either. He just heard it. Here's the context. Verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur. Spur literally means in the Greek to agitate, to invoke, to push one another to good deeds. In other words, this is not a passage about attending, organized. It's not a roll call. This is a roster. How many times have you missed? Are you good, bad, or indifferent? This is a passage about making sure you have regular godly peer pressure in your life. And that, that may mean attending regular religious events. It may mean that for you. Because some of us, when we get away from the body, we start behaving badly. So it may mean that. You ought to understand that if it's used in that context for you, from someone in, that you trust to speak into your life spirit from the Bible, they may be using it correctly in that manner for you. But this isn't an over-encompassing, this is just about church attendance. It's about having someone in your life who you've given the right to speak into your life, to correct you even, for your benefit. And for others, and for the body, benefit of the body. That may mean faithfully attending Bible study or all those uh, functions, but it's mainly meaning that we make sure we have constant, regular, godly peer pressure in our life. There are some people in my life that when I'm around them, they bring out the best in me. I've had this conversation lately, not about anybody in the church. <laughs> have to preface that, but I've had that conversation that. You know, I had mentors at Walmart said, you'll become who you're around. And so if, you're, if you have no one who challenges you in your life, you will stay stagnant and stay the same you've always been. You need someone who is better than you in whatever aspect. You need someone who is, who is walking their life with God better than you. Even if it's just your mind sight and not God's, but you see things that you want to see God do in your life, and so you want to pattern them after, so you bring them in. Maybe not even full mentorship, just can I take you to coffee once a week so maybe you'll just osmosis, you'll just rub off on me. <laughs> we need to be regularly associated with godly peer pressure. Why? Because we are influenced as, as a people. Proverbs 13.20 says, A companion of fools becomes a fool, and a companion of the righteous becomes righteous. The writer of Hebrews is saying, Make sure you are regularly gathering together in an environment with godly pressure. You see, in the old school, small neighborhood, the old small church, the rural church, everybody knew everything about everybody. And so that was a very easy principle. Iron sharpens iron, uh, no way to pretend. Uh, everybody knew if you tried to put on a front, they knew it. The pressure was on. But once the church grew past that point, 
And our church is already crossing that bridge. It, and especially when it hits 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Then we can get really good at faking it. And I'll tell you, part of my struggle running from God is being a pastor's kid and learning how to put on a smile while you're thinking, sister so-and-so, next time you say something about my dad like that, I'll personally slap you. <laughs> and those things went through my mind. I may be little, but I carry a big slap. I remember after my dad retired, sitting through a business meeting at a church meeting, and the pastor then was going over the finances. And, and he, he was going over the pastor's salary, and then he had a couple people that were on part-time staff, and he lumped those together because he just didn't feel the need to call out what they were making the church right there. Anybody, and he said clearly, anybody can ask. If you want to know, if you feel like you want to know what each person makes, I'll tell you. But I just didn't want to call that out. I, I lumped it together. So he gave the invitation. I'm sitting in the back. And this isn't against elderly people because I'm on the way to be one. <laughs> My parents are lovely people and they're on their way to being one. But some people have been there forever in the church. I heard them say, well, I think we ought to know right now who, who makes what. And I tell you, I've been taught to respect my elders, but there's a fire in me that want to grab that ear just like their little kid and twist it and pick them up and walk them right out of there and sit them down and say, you sit in time out until you get the right attitude. <laughs> it's not your money, it's God's money. You gave it, supposedly given it to God, so it's done, it's gone. Now, if they're, being un- if they're not being accountable or you have some real reason to think they're misappropriating funds, then bring it. I'll be behind you on that. If there's a problem, we need to sniff out. But, but don't sit there and nitpick. I gave my $10, and it better be used the way I want it. My name's on the check, and it may have gone through the bank, but my name's still on that check. See, we go into church. We get motivated. We get excited. We get some great teaching. If the pastor has some good jokes, which I do like good jokes, but the pastor has some good jokes, he is funny. Hey, our church is great. But that has nothing to do with whether we're a community. You can get that going to karaoke night with a good comedian uh, opening up for it, you know? But getting inspired from a platform is different from spurring one another on in love and good deeds where iron sharpens iron. Listen to this, James 5.19 and verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover multitude of sins. I've said many times, we don't save souls. Well, this scripture actually says you had a pretty big part in it. <laughs> you may not have been the one that hung on the cross and died, and you couldn't do that, but nobody else was going after them. If they wander, you bring them back. And here's a picture of a group of believers in a relationship, and one of them begins to wander away from the truth of God towards the lie of the enemy. And James says, if any of you are in a relationship with each other, and you notice that one of the people you are in relationship with begin to go astray, go after them. Lovingly, take them by the arm and jerk them back. (laughs) Pull them back. Some need jerked, some need just led back, but you apply what's needed. But there's... In this, you've got to understand, James is assuming that, that in this conversation, he assumes that we're going to know when someone wanders. And I want you to stop for a moment and give yourself a reality check. And you think, you don't have to look around at them, think about the people in the room. Do you know, would you know if anybody strayed this week? Just because they're sitting here, you can't assume. But would you know personally that there's any issue going on in somebody's life? You know, my wife is an accountability partner up to a point, but she's, we've got a, a, a covenant between us, death, till death do us part, and 
she can only get so stern with me, but under God, we've got to stick together. I need accountability outside of my marriage, too. I have other pastors. Look, I'm struggling with this. You know, I need help with this. Um, you know, we gave our kids permission to hold us accountable for not texting and driving. And I've got them now where it's the only time they get to yell at mom and dad and use whatever tone of voice they want. I said, you see us begin to mess with our phones driving? You yell. Mom and dad, I'm more important than that. Mom and dad, my safety is important than that. Time up. Oh, but I'm doing God's business. It don't matter. It's wrong and I need accountability. So, you know, you have to step out and be brave and say, look, I need that. But how do you keep that kind of relationship in a growing church? Here's some, here's some things that we have to do as a people. We have to value as a people. We have to value as a church if we want to be all that God has called us to be. And I want to uh, quickly, I'm going to give you one of the three things, and we're going to drag this out a little more over the next few weeks, but I want to give you the first thing that we need out of these three things in our lives that we need to have in relationships in our church in order to, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that way so we can catch that wandering heart. And the first one is we have to be genuinely known. Genuine, genuinely known. I have my Arkansas speak is messing with my pronunciation. Genuinely known. You have to know one another. All right? <laughs> I'll never be all that God called me to be and wants me to be if I can live faking it or pretending or hiding behind some image I've tried to create in the body. Somewhere, somehow, someone has to be in, in the type of relationship with me that when I say I'm fine, they say baloney. And they know how to talk to me in a way that brings me back, jerks my arm back, gently persuades me back. We have to be generally known because being anonymous leads to sin. Anonymity, that was a new word for me, anonymity. <laughs> being anonymous leads to sin. In all seriousness, temptation is always the greatest when secrecy is the strongest. Temptation is always the greatest when secrecy is the strongest. Listen, the sex industry knows that. The pornography industry knows that. You know, you're driving out on some country highway. You know, it used to be a major highway, and now it's kind of off the beaten path. You're on that way to that cabin or that place, and all of a sudden it's like, i got to use the bathroom. Where's the, where's the next exit? I, I need to get fuel. And all of a sudden you're, oh, praise God, there's this, there's this gas station sign. And you pull off, and down this road there's nothing else there, but you see this big sign, XXX. Right? Why do they do that? Because your neighbor, if it was in your neighborhood, your neighbor wouldn't go there where everybody could see that he's going. But when nobody else is looking, guess what? So they intentionally put that out there to be anonymous so that their customers can be anonymous. It's no coincidence. I mean, you pay attention when you travel any major or airport in the U.S. You leave there within the next few miles, you'll see strip clubs. Why? Because that businessman has his wife fooled thinking he'd never go to a place like that. But when nobody's there to hold him accountable... They go. See, if we're going to avoid the temptation of being anonymous, we have to make it hard on ourselves to hide. And I really believe that's why God changed direction for me. You know, I had a call to missions. When I had a call to ministry, I saw kids of different nationalities all surrounding me. It was like a movie screen, and I saw this, and kids gathering. And I went to Honduras, and I went for three months on internship to Honduras. And I still believe that Latin America was my calling. My wife worked at Assembly God Headquarters and Missions. 
she went on mission trips. Her heart lights up when she starts talking about Cambodia and China and places where she has family ministering. And we really believe that. And I've struggled. Even up until I listened to this message, I struggled. God, I don't understand. Why did you put such a strong, vivid calling for that in my life? And now you got me pastoring. And you know, what I love about preparing for sermons is sometimes I get a breakthrough. And I realize that because it wasn't that God changed plans, it's that he knew how to hook me, and I really believe he used that. And I'm not saying he won't take me one day, because he knew that I couldn't sign up for something that would give me an anonymous life where I could go into a culture where nobody knows me. And I have very little accountability at times. But instead, I'm in a place where I go and run into you in the grocery store. I'm going to run into other people's kids, you know, when I have my kids at the playground. And if somebody's kids in the community are mean to my kids, kicking dirt in the face, I can't retaliate because I'm a pastor. Because God knows I would be tempted to do that, you know. But I know I can't. I don't know how many times I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden it's like I'm driving, you know, not thinking about my testimony and driving crazy. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, somebody could see me and know I'm pastor. And all of a sudden, slow down. I'm driving, every, you know, 10 and 2. Everything's good. Turn the worship music up and roll down the window almost like I'm saying, I've repented and now I'm going I'm to minister to everybody out there. You know, why does that happen? We laugh, but why does it happen? Because the Holy Spirit, because God knew that what I needed. See, you think that I might have come here to pastor for your sake, but God put me here because he knew I needed it. I, I can't have the, the anonymous life. I need people who are in my business, who will know me and will challenge me to live right. Pastors aren't beyond it. He had... Pastor Brian gave almost the exact same example, only his was just a little different. Instead of having a great home life and, and his dad being a, a stand-up minister that was just great, you know, his dad uh, did some immoral things and had been in the ministry and left the ministry, and it really damaged Pastor Brian. And he began to question whether, you know, the enemy was telling him he was worthless. Well, I had the opposite problem. My dad was a guy who I looked up to. And I, I struggled with always trying to get his approval because I felt like I'd never measure up. And the enemy always saying, see, you never can do it. And I failed morally in my life for, for years to where, to where the enemy kept saying, yeah, you'll never measure up, and so you can't be in ministry. You'll never measure up to your dad. And God had to deliver me from that. Well, my dad is an awesome guy. God had to say, but I've called you to be who you are, and you don't have to keep listening to those lies and keep failing because you feel worthless and because you don't believe that I can use you. We have to understand that some people, I've even, like Pastor Brian, I've heard the same thing he heard. He said, he's heard pastors say this whole thing of pastoring can be a curse because everybody's always in your business. You can't go anywhere without being seen. You can't do this or that. And I'll tell you, I agree with him when he said, I consider it a blessing. I don't know about anybody else, but I need that. You know, if I didn't have a respect for y'all to be your shepherd and lead you and make sure that I'm helping you to grow spiritually. And I had no concern for that. And I didn't care whether you saw me doing. I know my past. I know what I could get tempted into. I know what I could do. So the Lord was so smart, so wise, and put me right where I am. Not just for the body, but for me. And it's the same thing for you. He's placed you here to be in this body, to be in this community. Not so you can just kind of blend in the crowd, slip in and out in service, and never make a connection with anybody. That's why I've been saying for months now, you need to know what's going on in each other's lives. 
Some of you may not even know what the person across the aisle's name is. You may not know what they do for a living. You may not know anything about them. You have to start with something. Because what I'm telling you is the real deal. It's the word of God. It's not my opinion. I'm telling you, it's not just so that Newsom grows. You will not grow spiritually until you get this straight. You may have yourself full of things because you're reading the word of God, you're growing and all, but there is some spiritual immaturity that is going to affect every decision you make as a believer because you won't give in to this one thing. You won't surrender to this one thing that you have to have someone who when you say, I'm fine, they can truthfully and knowingly say, baloney, and vice versa. We're going to continue in this, and next week we're going to get into uh, our need to be lovingly supported. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to just spend a couple minutes as we close, and just I want you to ask the Lord, help me, Lord, to get over myself enough or to get over my fears or give my insecurities or whatever it is, hold me back from building some real in-depth, I mean, spiritually formidable relationships within the body. You can watch these emotional videos on YouTube about ministries with people out praying for people on the street and they're winning the loss and all this stuff. You're like, man, why can't that happen in our church? Oh, I'd just love to see that happen. I mean, Brother Rainey would love to see him all of a sudden have a, a million-man army of guys who come in and want to uh, reach the biker club. And we could get all excited about that. But you know where it starts? With climbing out of the hole of being anonymous and saying, I will find someone in the body. It won't be comfortable, but I'll find somebody. And you know what God will do? He'll spark something in your heart and says, you know, that wasn't so bad. That was actually good. We had some trials, and, you know, that person can annoy me sometimes, but it's, oh, no, it's good. And then, and then they'll re- replicate. And then the church body will begin to build. And you know what happens? It's maybe not you, but someone you've connected with will say, you know what? we got enough people here. God's calling me up. I'm going out. I'm going to go with Brother Rainey. Or I'm going to go with another missionary. I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to do this. And we'd be sending people out. But it's not going to happen as long as we stay in our own little box. Stay anonymous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, for the challenge of your word, for us to, to live, Lord, not as, uh, as a solo sport here, Lord, as a, a solo organization where each person is an individual and, and kept that way. Not a private relationship, Lord, but a public one. Lord, a personal public relationship with you, with each other, This world needs to see the church publicly in an in-depth, deep, spiritual relationship with each other. Why else would they desire this? They're not going to desire it as long as we're just slinging mud over a fence trying to convince them they're wrong and they're living. If they see that there's something truly desirable, all those things are longed for in the broken relationships, in in the, the relationships that are ungodly. It's because they want a community. They want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want someone that when things are going wrong, they don't have to hide anymore and deal with themselves. But someone says, baloney, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. That's where your ministry as a believer truly starts. Help us, Lord. Right now in your own heart, I want you to commit to the Lord. If you can honestly say that this marks the day that you will begin a community around you that you will find those who you'll build a community with and you will build deep relationships with then I want you to pray and ask his help to to do that because naturally at the size church we are naturally you won't do it it won't happen naturally but you'll intentionally go after folks to build those relationships just make that commitment now if that's you that that conversation will be one that you'll need to continue day after day after day. I'm a selfish person. If I could just go do my own thing every day, 
make myself happy, I'd do it. You have to have the Lord's help. We just had a conversation. Everybody can look up here. We had a conversation Friday night with the advisor team. It kind of took a turn. Started talking about some of the men that we're helping that are going through rough times that are from their past that accept the Lord. And, and the, the question was posed, how do you, how do, you do that? You know what? Pastor, pastor doesn't do anything but the church, right? So I work a job, and how do I do that? And I said, you know, it has to be that you just are available and your heart is willing and wanting because God will plant somebody in your life. And then when you recognize that that's a person, you may not be able to take care of five, six people, but that one person, you walk with them and you stick with them and you're calling them and you're checking on them and you're, you're in their life and they're in yours. And I tell Isaac over and over, it's, right now it's me and Isaac. And I just told him yesterday, he'll want to thank me for helping or do whatever. I said, Isaac, I'm telling you, and God, God opens up opportunities for it to be real to him. He's not just hearing words. He's seeing how he's helping me. I said, Isaac, I need you as much as you need me. And the church needs you as much as you need the church. And his life is preaching to people. He, he may not think he's preaching, but his life is preaching to people. And so that's what it's about. You asking God continue like you're asking for a gift, because it is. God, bring me that gift. Bring me that person that I can, I can build that community with. Amen. Love y'all. Remember the fellowship dinner um, after the second service. So if you're able, come back. Come join us for some good food and fellowship. Love y'all. Have a blessed day.